What's up, everyone? Um, glad to be with all of you tonight. Um, tonight we're going to be in Luke chapter 11, um, basically picking up where we left off. I believe LPK left off. Where did he leave off? On 23. You know, we're going to just do probably six verses tonight because it's probably like, it's like it all connects somehow. Um, but yeah, that's where he left off. But before I get there, this is what I want to do tonight. If you could just bear with me, I'm going to recap on everything that's been happening in Luke 11, okay? And you're going to have to because I'm up here. But before I do that, this is what I want to do. I want to pray. Amen. Amen? Father, I thank you for this time together. I just pray that you would bless everyone here tonight, Lord. It might not be a lot of content. It might not be a lot of stuff, but something, Lord, is going to stick out. And so I pray that something, whatever that is that we would cherish that, we would hold that, and we would walk away with that, letting it renew and transform our hearts and our minds tonight. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show us something very powerful, very uh, unique, very just something just for us, Lord, for us individually, God. I pray tonight that we would be encouraged, Lord. And as your children, we are humbly here waiting for you to speak to us, Lord, and speak into our lives. Thank you for being such a good and loving Father, and I just pray, Lord, tonight um, that we would honor you um, and bless you during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, so yeah, quick recap. Um, and that's what I'm going to do. Uh, I don't know how long that's going to take. Who knows? Might be a little, uh, just like a little while. So um, what we actually see, if you just look back at chapter 11, what we see from verses 1 through 13, we see that Jesus begins to teach his disciples about prayer, right? How's your prayer life? That prayer is not just something we do when we're about to eat dinner or eat food or do something dangerous, although that's part of it. No, prayer is something we get to do, right? Prayer is something we get to do because of the relationship that we're in today. And so before Jesus gets into how to pray, he then says, he first says, this is who you're praying to, your heavenly father. And the reason I want to emphasize this tonight is because God could have chose any other title in this world and yet he chose this one. He chose the title as a father, like a father and a son or a father and a daughter relationship. You know, it is this kind of intimate relationship where now we as his children can run to our father and trust our father with everything. You know, I know some of us here might see that relationship or this relationship a little differently because of our earthly fathers. I just want to say this. He is nothing compared to our earthly fathers. And for even the best fathers in this world, he blows them out of the water too. He is everything a father should be. He is good. He is right and loving. And guess what? He never gets tired of us. Like that's the whole point of the parable that Jesus told in this uh, section of prayer. You see, if you look with me, starting in verse 5, Jesus talks about the persistent neighbor like someone who goes over to his friend's house and in the middle of the night for some bread. I don't know anybody in this world who would enjoy getting up in the middle of the night to give their friend three pieces of bread. Right? Like, are you okay right now? <laughs> right? Like, that's a little weird. But that's the point. The point of this parable isn't saying God is this guy who, who needs to be bothered until he gets fed up and then finally gives you what you want. This parable isn't talking about God's attitude, but it's talking about our attitude. What is our attitude like in prayer? And he's saying that our attitude should be like this guy in this parable. 
See, no matter what time of the day, no matter what the issue is, no matter what might be going in our hearts, no matter how ridiculous it may sound, he's saying, talk to me. Talk to me. Ask me. Seek me. Knock on my door. And don't stop talking. You know, it's kind of like those little kids that just kind of go off about little things. You ever hear one of those little kids? Just kind of talk about random things and just like nothing makes sense. Like, how's your patience during that time? It's like, oh my goodness, right? But that's not our Heavenly Father. It's actually quite the opposite. You see, He wants to hear from you, whatever it is. Tell me more about that thing. Tell me more about that problem. It's 3 a.m., it's okay. Pray to me. Talk to me. I'm here. I'm listening, and I'm not going anywhere. Now, a lot of the times when we pray, we usually ask for things. Like any good father, he wants to give his children good gifts or good things. Now, in this, in this section, he's not saying what we have been asking or what, we, uh, what we've been asking for isn't good or important, but what Jesus is saying is that above all the things that our hearts can desire, desire this. If you look with me in verse 13, he says what? Ask for the Holy Spirit. He's saying, if there's anything that I want to give you the most, I want to give you me, and I want to give you more of me. Like, we cannot ever go wrong in life by asking God for more of his presence. Because God knows that our life, or our problems in life today are not going to be resolved by anything less than him stepping into our mess. Right, we got to invite God in. Right, and here's an example. I don't... I don't know anybody's lust problem that was resolved by them getting married. I'm just going to go out. I'm just going to say that. I don't know anybody's lust problem that got resolved by getting married. Like, if I just get married, maybe then this thing will go away. That's a lie. And that anger problem, maybe that anger problem that we have, it won't resolve itself by going to the gym seven days a week. Like, maybe you'll blow off some, some of that steam, but what happens when there's no more gym time? And so it can kind of be this game where we quit one thing and replace it with something else. And so what I'm trying to t say tonight is this, and it's really simple. God wants in. Whatever it is, God wants in right now. His desire is to not just have this kind of casual relationship with you like a neighbor to a neighbor. No, he wants to live in the same house. He wants to take residence in you. That's the Spirit of God. And I believe the temptation today is to kind of, it, the temptation today is to doubt his goodness, to make his mercy less merciful, to make his love less loving. We tend to run to other things because of that. We kind of distort the character of God, and so we kind of run to other things to find comfort. And guess what? We can start coming into this place pretending to be better than we actually are. If I could just encourage everyone here tonight to stop running and to stop pretending. Maybe tonight you'll get to see how loving and how merciful and how forgiving our God really is. Amen? Yes. Now, back to God's Spirit taking residence in us. The reason why this is so, so important, as LPK taught, um, I think it was the other week, um, it is because we are in a spiritual battle. Like, we are in a serious spiritual war. We see this clearly from verses 14 to 28. And really, right now, it begins with Jesus casting out a demon uh, casting out a man, or sorry, casting out a demon from a man who is possessed. And so the first thing I want to point out is tell, tell us, uh, to tell us this tonight is that demons are real. Evil spirits are present. 
and that there are two kingdoms right now at war with each other. You may not see it, but it's the reality we live in. But if you just look at every run-in that Jesus had with someone who was demon-possessed, they were all set free and they were all delivered. Right? It's not like those exorcism movies where the priest goes upstairs, finds the girl, like her head's like going backwards, right? And the next scene, like he's flying out the window. It's not like that. See, once Jesus steps on the scene, the darkness runs for the hills. It's always been like that. Demons are on their face when, Jesus, when they're in the presence of Jesus. And so be encouraged that we as believers, we're on the winning team. Amen? And so maybe some of us have heard this before, I've heard this a lot, but anytime something good happens in the Gospels, we see that the enemy always tries to discredit or disprove the work of God in someone's life. And in this case right now, in the context, it's the religious leaders. And so if you could kind of picture this scene, I believe LPK read that the other week, where Jesus now delivers this man demon-possessed. And this demon made him mute. But now this man begins to talk. He begins to speak which is evident to everyone that the demon has finally left him. And it says in verse 14, because of what happened here, the crowd was amazed, but not everyone. Because in the next verse, we have the accusation. The religious rulers say this, this man Jesus delivers demons by the rulers of demons. Now out of all the things they could have said in this chapter, this is the best they came up with. (laughs) And so Jesus tells them, listen, Any kingdom divided against itself will eventually fall. Any house, any household divided against itself will eventually fall. Basically, he's saying this, how will you win a war if you are the one taking yourself out? Right? It doesn't make sense. That's the accusation. And so all throughout the gospel, this is what's been happening. The religious leaders try to back Jesus into a corner and they try to argue with him. It's like wrestling with a five-year-old. You ever had that? Right? They just come up to you and they just kind of do that and you just kind of exert a little force and then pushes them back like 20 feet away. Like that's what it's like, wrestling with a five-year-old. It's the same thing with these Pharisees. They try to come to Jesus only to find themselves going back and planning and regrouping again. But that's not the only people we see in this chapter. We also have the crowd. It says that there are some who are amazed at what Jesus had done and some who were still on the fence. And the ones who were still on the fence were the ones demanding Jesus for more signs and and miracles. Listen, tonight I just want to say this. Spiritual warfare doesn't always have to look like demon possession. You know, kind of like the Harry Potter movies. In fact, spiritual warfare can simply look like doubt and unbelief that creeps into our hearts. That God is not loving. That God is not as forgiving. That God is not as merciful. And you know what? The reason I say this tonight is because, let's be honest, none of us here are batting a thousand. What I mean by that is nobody here is perfect. And when we fall, when we sin, or when we're struggling, when the character of God is anything less than what the Bible says it is, we find ourselves kind of trying to deal with the cosmic cop that we think that's out to get us than what he really actually is. God is a loving Father. See, the Bible paints this picture of God as a loving father who just wants his children home. And so no matter what might be going on in your life right now, whatever thing you might be struggling with, God is trying to move towards you. And my question is, will you let him in? And so Jesus begins to tell this parable in verse 24, and it goes like this. 
When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And not finding any, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. You see, Jesus used this man's deliverance as an example, saying that the battle isn't over. You see, although this man had been delivered from demon possession, the question is, what would stop them from coming back into his life again? Guys, I just want to say that it is the same for us. When God cleans us up, it is not enough to just be delivered, but we need to also invite the deliverer in. Amen? Because if that space is not occupied, it soon will be. And who knows with what? And I love what Jacob Elin says. He says this in his book. People might quit smoking, but now they're drinking like a fish. <laughs> or they may have quit drinking, but now they always lose their temper. He's saying they might have cleaned up one area of their lives, but they are failing in eight others. And he ends with this. There's always a way for the enemy to get you unless Jesus takes residence in your home. Jesus needs to take residence in your house, in your home, in the home of your heart. And so before, and so before my son was born, we had a baby registry. You know what a baby registry is? All right. And if you just went to, if you came to our house or you seen our house for the amount of boxes that came from Amazon, I was barely able to think or breathe to see how much stuff we had. It was just piling up in our room. Now, before Micaiah was born, we had to unpack everything and kind of move things around the house and kind of shift places and kind of get the place ready. But by, and so by the time we knew it, the boxes were gone, and guess what? Micaiah was here. And so by the shoe rack, if you look at the shoe rack, we kind of have his like swinging thing right, like his little swinging chair, and then on the carpet, if you move to the carpet, we got his like tummy time mat, you know what tummy time is, right, like they just lay on their tummy, kind of strengthen their neck, so we got his tummy time mat, and then if you look in our bedroom, gosh, we got his bassinet, right, his bassinet is in there, that's where he sleeps, and really, he occupies every corner of the house, and we're not going to put anything there because that's his space, I've realized now that it's his house, and I just live there, now, the reason I give us this example is because it's the same with us. You know, oftentimes, Jesus, oftentimes inviting Jesus into our lives can just stop maybe in the living room. I just want to encourage you that when there is more space occupied, there is less space available. That means there is less chance of the enemy coming into our homes when it's fully occupied and when it's occupied by Jesus. And now the question is, what is that space being filled with? Well, let's read verse, uh, the next two verses. It says this, While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Guys, it is the word of God. Paul says in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It is the word of God, God's truth, as the driving force of all that we do and all that we say. But it's not, to just, but it's not enough to just hear it. I know we come here and we hear it and we hear it, but Jesus says to observe it. In the Greek word, this word means philasso. It means to guard it. It means to keep it. 
And when we do that, it says that it begins to keep us. And so Jesus is saying, happy is the person, blessed is the person when he hears my word and keep it. Amen? That's kind of what I want to end it tonight. I know it was short. Um, I know it's short. I promise next week, 29 to 36, full-on sermon. But my question for you tonight is this. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you've been doing. But will you let God into your lives? Will you let him take residence in the home of your hearts? And not just part of the home. I'm talking about the whole house. To surrender every room and every closet space. Because maybe tonight, maybe tonight there is something you need to confess and make right. Praise God, I just want to remind you that he is a loving father, but he is also a God who loves to forgive. Will you let him in tonight? Will you let him take over your life? Amen? Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for your spirit. Father, at this time we pray, we ask and we we ask for your Holy Spirit, Lord, to not just fall upon us, Lord, but to take residence in us. Father, I pray that we would surrender our lives to you tonight. Whatever may be happening in our lives, whatever mistakes we have made this week, whatever thing that we're dealing with or struggling with, Father, would we just now bring that to you? And would we confess these things, repent, Lord, and just come home? That was the message last week. Would you remind us, Lord, tonight that you are a loving father who just wants to be with his children? And Lord, I just pray that we would step out right now boldly, Lord. Whatever it is, Lord, that we might be hiding or whatever it is that we might be dealing with, Lord God, whatever thing that might be destroying us right now, Father, I pray that we would confess that, Lord. And I pray tonight, Lord God, that we would run back to you and that we would continue walking with you, Lord God, and the desires of our heart would just be to please you and to love you more and more and more and more. Father, thank you for loving us. Father, thank you for sending your son to die for us on the cross, Lord. As he rose again on the third day, defeating death, Lord, our sins have been paid for in full, past, present, and future. And we bank on that, Lord. That's the hope. Thank you for giving us life and life abundant. Let us continue walking in your grace and in your truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people say, amen.